Know Your Food with Warty, episode 104. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at ganalfglins.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about ditching those poisonous processed foods, breaking free from the conventional food paradigm, and instead embracing whole foods raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Hey everyone and good morning, or if you're joining me in the afternoon or evening, good afternoon or evening. I'm recording this in the early morning as I usually do. While the house is still quiet, I really enjoy my mornings. And so once a week, I get to spend one with you. So thanks for joining me. Let's start with the tip of the week. This is fantastic. It's a brand new resource from our friend Jason Matthias. You met him back on podcast number 62. He and his family have a business called Seeds for Generations where they provide organic heirloom seeds. And he has just put together an awesome tool and I want to share it with you today. It's a free garden planning calculator. So, and you can see it if you go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash calc, C-A-L-C. Here's what you can do. His garden planning calculator that is free, by the way, allows you to input your last average spring frost date and then provides you... Um, All of this information for 39 types of crops. You get germination timelines for all your crop types. You get germination temperatures for optimal results. You get, um, for plants that need to be started as seedlings, then transplanted into the garden, you get an indoor start date. Uh, For plants that are direct seeded, you get an earliest date to plant them outdoors. Uh, For seedlings, you get the earliest transplant date that's relative to the last frost date. And based on your current date, it tells you how many days you have left uh, for planting. Plus, it gives you additional dates for if you're using frost protection measures like greenhouse, cold frames, or row covers. And finally, as if that wasn't enough, it gives you um, a forecast of earliest harvest dates based on the days to maturity for each crop. This is all totally free. It's an awesome uh, planner. So definitely go grab it. You go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash calc, C-A-L-C. Um, and I'm so thankful to Jason. If you want to meet him, go to um, our archives, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 62, and you can hear more about the work that he and his family are doing. And now moving on to our listener question. This comes from Michelle M. Here's what she says. I have a family grain mill that I use attached to my Bosch Universal Mixer. It doesn't grind super finely, so I feel that my bread is usually much more dense as a result. I recently purchased the sifter attachment that attaches to the bowl of my mixer, and it sifts so very well that I end up with white flour. So would you say the end result of white flour is a healthy option since most of the phytic acid is in the bran, which was removed? I do mostly make sourdough or soak my flour, so I don't usually worry about the phytic acid. If it's a healthy option and I'm not losing too many nutrients, what should I do with all the leftover bran, which is a lot? If I sift two cups of flour, I usually end up with one cup of white flour and one cup of bran. Okay, well, first let's just tackle the is it healthy question. Um, You've already answered that it makes 
wonderful bread, or you practically end up with, you know, white flour. So it's very fine flour. It's probably making great bread for you. Well, is it healthy? Well, in my opinion, yes, you've got a fresh ground product. You've sifted it to remove the brand where yes, most of the phytic acid is. So you're not doing anything wrong. In fact, you're making fantastic bread that your family um, probably just loves. So don't feel bad about it. Do it. Um, now an option for you, if you want more of a whole grain loaf, that's, um, but that's light, that's not dense. Why don't you sift half your flour and not the other half? And so then you've got a mix of whole grain flour and sifted flour, or you can play with those amounts. Maybe it's three fourths unsifted and one fourth sifted or the other way. Play with it so you get a bread result you like. And the benefit is you're going to have more of a whole grain um, bread product. The phytic acid will be reduced through your sourdough, so you don't have to worry about that. But you won't lose the other nutrients and the fiber that's in the bran. Um, but you'll still end up with uh, bread that your family loves. So that's where I suggest you head. And I think it's so exciting that you are, you know, making it work for you and getting somewhere with your bread. Now, you also asked, if it's okay to do this, what should you do with all the bran? Well, you could add um, you could add bran to other baked goods, just a little bit for extra fiber. And, of course, make sure they're soaked or sprouted, I mean soaked or fermented sourdough, so that the phytic acid in the bran is um, reduced. Bran is also great, I'm pretty sure, for animals. So you could add some, like if you have chickens and you were giving them maybe clabber or, or yogurt every so often, you could tuck some bran, soak some bran in that, and, you know, uh, let it, let it sit for a bit. Um, so it'll soak up and fluff up and then let your chickens, they just love soured milk products. Um, the other thing is you could compost it and put it back in the soil. So I hope that was helpful, Michelle. Feel free to visit the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104 if you have follow-up questions. Let's take a quick break and then I'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wardy, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at Ganalflins.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it too. I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at a glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com free today. All right, so today's episode, kind of fun. We're going to be talking about the crock pot, which is one of my very favorite kitchen appliances. It might be yours too. And I want to help you take it further. We're going to talk about five surprising uses for the crock pot. Maybe some you know, maybe some will surprise you. Hopefully they all will intrigue you or revitalize your interest in using your crock pot. By the way, if you do love a crock pot but don't always know how to use it, there's a great book by my friend Stacy Myers. It's mostly whole food crock pot cooking. You can get it at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash crock on. It's an inexpensive ebook that can help you take your crock pot cooking further. But the topic of today's um, episode is really surprising uses for your crock pot. So let's get into those first. By letting, I just want to talk to you about why the crock pot is so wonderful. Well, crock pot 
cooking is easy, okay? You've got a couple temperature settings, low or high or warm if you use that. Um, they're, they're hard to get wrong. You know, if something's on low, it might take six to eight hours to cook. If something's on high, it may take five to six. And it's hard, you know, you can overcook things, but it's, it's generally an easy method of cooking, so I love it. The crock pot's also very portable. So you can take it with you on trips. You can have it in different rooms in the house. Um, and one of my favorite benefits of it being portable is if it's really hot weather and you don't want to cook in your house, you can be cooking outside in your crock pot. And because it itself is hot, the animals aren't going to bother it, hopefully. Um, ours never have. And so you just move it outside. Another reason you might want to move it outside is because let's say you're making something kind of smelly in it. I mean, um, I'm going to have an example for you coming up, so I'm not going to burst the bubble yet. But um, if it's smelly and you don't want to smell it, it can go outside. And also, the crock pot is hands off. So yes, it's easy. Yes, it's portable. Yes, you can move it if you, if you need to take the heat out of the house or take the smell of the house, but it's also hands-off. This is part of what makes it so easy is that you're cooking things and they're kind of taking care of themselves. It's this moist environment and um, you just really don't have to be involved much. That's why it's so ideal if somebody's cooking outside the home, I mean, sorry, working outside the home, put a meal in the crock pot in the morning, come home and it's done. Or what we do a lot is put a couple chickens, pastured chickens in the crock pot at night, and then in the morning they're done. So basically all the cooking was done at night, and I wake up in the morning to um, a whole bunch of tender, moist, cooked chicken meat. So I love crock pots. And so if you do too, visit the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104, and share your favorite benefits of crock pot cooking. Okay, so let's now get into these five surprising uses for your crock pot. The first one, uh, these are all my favorites, but I really love this one. It's what I call perpetual stock or broth. As part of our traditional foods diet, we know that broth, stock are a foundation. It's so nutritious. It helps digestion. Um, so we should be eating a lot of it. And the usual process with broth is, um, it's not hard, but you're combining bones and water and a little bit of vinegar, and you're simmering it on the stovetop, and there's a lot of hands-on, and then you're done. Well, perpetual stocker broth, the beauty of it is that you're turning stock making into this hands-off process and having stock perpetually available. Now I have a full article for you on the traditional cooking school blog. It just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash perpetual to see all the in-depth, but I'm going to walk you through it right now because with perpetual stock, you hardly feel like you're working at all. The, the crock pot is always on. It's always ready. You don't have to store the stock. You don't have to wash your pot daily. You're not always messing with it. It's just always there. Here's what, here's what you do. You've got your bones and other animal parts that you want to turn into um, stock. Like you can even put, you know, chicken organs in there. It gives a good flavor. You need a splash of apple cider, apple cider vinegar. If you're going to add garlic or onions, parsley, odds and ends of vegetables, you can put those in there as well. Um, you want good water. 
Salt is optional. And then, of course, there's your crock pot. So you can combine all that in the crock pot, you know, fill um, almost to the top with water. You're going to turn it on to high for an hour. Then you're going to turn it down to low. And every crock pot is different. So you're going to adjust the heat as necessary. You want uh, like no more than a gentle simmer. You don't want a rolling boil or anything. And after a half day or so, your stock is ready. And what you're going to do is just ladle out what you need and then put the lid back on. It'll continue simmering. When the water's low, you add more water and it'll continue to pull nutrients out of the bones. And after a few days, your bones are going to be spent so there's no more stock coming out, at which point you're going to toss the bones, compost them. They're probably just going to fall apart as mush. You can give your crock pot a break. You can start it again. You can start more perpetual stock in um, another crock pot. People do that to rotate their appliances so one of them isn't running constantly if they're going to have broth constantly going. But that's the simple process. You've started your stock, your broth, in a crock pot and it's just going and you're taking stock off as you need for three to four days, at which point you start over again. That is the beauty of perpetual broth. It's always there. You're not storing it. It's, it's um, very hands-off. So that's why it's making my list of surprising and maybe I should also say very useful uses of the crock pot. Remember, you can check out more information on this by going to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash perpetual. Now let's move on to the second surprising use for your crock pot, and that is to make soap. I have been doing this for years. Um, you know, I don't know, 2009, 2010, I've been making crock pot soap. I was introduced to it from a friend on a Christian homekeeper message board, and she told me about the book Handcrafted Soap by Dolores Boone. This book is no longer in print. Um, but maybe you could find it used somewhere. But anyway, um, the, the reason it's so great is because you're literally making soap um, overnight in a crock pot. And I don't mean it's going overnight. I mean, you're spending a couple hours, you know, one afternoon, one morning using your crock pot to make it. It goes in the mold. And by the next morning, you're cutting it into bars and using your soap. I want to explain the process of making soap. I'll try to make it very simple. But you are combining um, fats and oils with a caustic, and the caustic we usually call lye, but it's also um, sodium hydroxide. And there is a chemical, um, there's a chemical reaction that takes place when that lye dissolved in water and the oils, and they all have to be about, you know, a good temperature, like about 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So there's a chemical reaction that takes place when they are forced together and you force it by blending or stirring. Stirring takes a lot longer. Um, and that process is called saponification. Once it begins, it's going to keep going. You do have to get it going by the stirring and the agitation. Um, and so the beauty of the crock pot is that you, you blend your soaps, your oils and your um, caustic, the lye dissolved in water, you blend that together to get it to a certain point. It's called trace. And that's where the chemical reaction has gone far enough that it's not going to go back. It's going to keep going forward and convert all of the fats and oils or react all the fats and oils with the lye to make soap. That's the end result of this chemical reaction. So you blend to get it to trace, and then you're going to put it in the crock pot and 
the heat is going to keep it cooking and keep that reacting. So about within an hour, your chemical reactions are going to be done. That's called hot process soap, where you're using heat to finish the chemical reaction. Cold process soap, on the other hand, is where you bring your soap mixture to trace and you put it in a mold. And over the course of days or weeks, the um, chemical reaction finishes. So it's fully soap. You don't want to use the soap before it's fully reacted. It may seem like a bar, but there may be unreacted lye in there. Well, with the crock pot, you're forcing it to its conclusion within an hour, putting it in the mold. It cools down and solidifies overnight. And the next morning you're cutting it into bars. So it's, um, like a less than two hour process and you have soap the next day. So that's why I love doing this in the crock pot. When we are down to our last three to five bars, I know that I'm making a batch of soap and it'll be replenished by the next day rather than I'm making a batch of soap and oops, we might run out of our last three to five bars and I'm not able to cut it because, you know, if I did cold process and maybe it's not fully reacted yet. Love, love, love crockpot soap. I've got my recipe on for you online. You can go to know your food pad, sorry, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash crockpot soap. Now this is at a blog that I don't keep up anymore. Um, our old family blog called suchtreasures.com. In fact, most of it may be gone by the time you go there, but I will leave the crockpot uh, soap recipe up. So check it out. That's surprising use number two of your crockpot. Next up, surprising use number three is use your crock pot to make cheesecake. This is fantastic. The crock pot creates this ideal water bath environment. And if you've made a cheesecake before, you know that the water bath is or the water in the oven is essential to get a non-collapsed cheesecake. And the crock pot is ideal for this, and it works every time. Now you're gonna and you're gonna end up with a really cute end result because you're gonna put the cheesecake filling into small jars, like half pint jars, jelly jars. Um, so you end up with these single serving cheesecakes. It's just wonderful. You've got to try it. I want to give credit for this method to Haley from Health Starts in the Kitchen because this is where I learned the method. And at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104, I'm going to share my recipe. Um, And this recipe is actually adapted from the Trim Healthy Mama book. Uh, So if you follow Trim Healthy Mama, this would be considered an S. So it's a fat protein um, dish. So there's not a lot of carbs in it. In fact, it's very low on carbs. Um, And I'm using it and I've made it so it's a traditional food recipe. Um, so and you can find my recipe adaptation at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104. If you happen to be a member of traditional cooking school, you will find me demonstrating this on video in our, in our, um, cooking outside e-course, because I actually have the crock pot outside in the summer and I show you how to make cheesecakes in jars using it. So it's very cool. So check that out if you haven't already. Let's talk about, um, the recipe here. I told you it's adapted from Trim Healthy Mama. So you're basically blending, um, these ingredients together, cream cheese, pastured eggs, vanilla, lemon juice. And then I use sweet leaf brand of, um, powdered stevia or liquid stevia to taste, um, sweet leaf stevia, which you, which is at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash sweet leaf will take you to, um, my source for it. 
that is my favorite brand of stevia. It doesn't have an aftertaste, and I feel good about the processing. Stevia is an herb. Um, it's naturally sweet without having sugar. It's intensely sweet, and so it really fits a need for when you need to eat without having sugar. When you need to have the taste of sweet, want the taste of sweet um, without having sugar. So that's the basic recipe is you're blending all that um, in your blender. The cream cheese, the eggs, the sweet leaf stevia, stevia to taste, the vanilla, and the lemon juice. And that's just a very basic cheesecake filling. Now, if you want to do a crust, you could chop up some nuts and coconut, um, add a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of stevia, and some fat to hold it together, like melted butter or coconut oil. And you can press that crust into the bottom of your jars. You're going to need half pint jars, jelly jars, I just told you about the filling, and that's the crust. A lot of times I just skip the crust, and we just do the cheesecake in the jars. Now here's how you use your crock pot. Um, and in fact, you want to start this before you make your filling. But you're going to turn your crock pot onto high. You're going to put an inch of water in it, and it needs to preheat for 30 minutes. So the water will heat up, and it'll get nice and ready for your cheesecakes. And so then you're going to go and you're gonna make your filling. Blend it up, get it in your jars, fill your jars like half to three quarters full. They, they will expand, so if you fill them totally full, they'll overflow, so three quarters is about right. Your preheating time's over on your crock pot, so you're gonna put your jars in your crock pot. And about, depending on the size, you know, half pint jars in my, um, is it a, five, a six and a half quart crock pot? It's an oval shape, will fit, I can fit five to six jars in there or four to five, um, might not be remembering, right? But anyway, you're going to fit as many as you can. So if you want to do more cheesecakes, you use a couple crock pots and you put your jars in there, you cover the crock pot. If you need to, the jars need to be, the water level needs to be about halfway on the jars. So if you need to add more hot water, do so and cover the crock pot and two hours on high is the cook time and then they should be beautifully done. Um, cheesecakes are done when they're puffed up, the tops are kind of cracked, and the mixture is pulling away from the sides of the jar. You're gonna carefully, they're hot, so you may use a, like a jar lifter um, or towel, but anyway, get the jars out of the crock pot and refrigerate. You wanna refrigerate like mm, four to six hours till they're chilled and set up, and there is your cheesecake, and, and you can, uh, top them with jam. You could make a, um, you know, you know, that lemon filling that's in those, uh, lemon bars that makes a great topping. You could simply mash frozen fruit, frozen fruit that has then been thawed. So we do that a lot with strawberries. I'll mash it and sweeten a little with stevia. And I just simply top our cheesecakes with that. Um, so remember, visit the show notes because I'll have my recipe there for you, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104. And if you're a member of a traditional cooking school, you can, of course, watch this full video demonstration in the Cooking Outside eCourse. And that is surprising use number three of the crock pot. It's to make cheesecake. And surprising use number four is to render tallow or lard in the crock pot. I have instructions for you online at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash render tallow. Let's talk about why this is so great. Well, if you use your crock pot to render your tallow, um, it's more hands-off than any other method. You can also do it on the stovetop. You can do it in the oven, but the crock pot is the easiest. Um, 
So that's why I like it, simply. I also like it. Remember I mentioned that the Crock-Pot is portable? Well, when you render tallow, um, some people don't like the smell, or some people just simply don't want to have that smell around for many hours, which, to be honest, rendering, you know, if you've just butchered an animal or animals, um, the 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 process of rendering down the towel can take hours or days. So the very fact that you can move the crock pot outside and get those smells out of the house is fantastic. When we um, butchered our first grass-fed beef that we raised, we had enough uh, fat to render that it took a whole week, basically 24-7, with multiple appliances outside for me to render all the fat. So um, we were so happy not to do that in the house. I didn't have the room, number one, but number two, then it's not an offensive smell. None of us were especially bothered by it. But if you if you were kind of enduring that for hours and days on end, you'd get tired of it. So that's why I like to do the crock pot anytime I'm rendering. And the process is very simple. You cut up your fat into small chunks, put them in your crock pot, set the crock pot to low. As the fat melts, you're going to use a ladle and ladle it into containers. Um, do put it through a fine strainer so it's pure, so you don't want any get get any bits of gristle or whatever else could be there. You don't want that in your tallow. Um, mason jars are great containers. You can also use muffin tins, which is cool because then if you freeze, then the then the fat will pop out and you'll have these convenient discs that you can keep in the freezer and freezer bags, whatever you'd like. Um, and so you're just ladling it out and straining it as it melts. And from time to time, gently stir to make sure that all the pieces of tallow in the, um, in the crock pot are getting evenly heated. Chip the crock pot as needed um, so you can ladle out the melted fat. And if you have more fat than you could fit in the crock pot, then, you know, as you're ladling stuff off, you're adding more fat and just continuing it until it's done. And it is actually that easy. <laughs> so remember, go online, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash render tallow for more information. And surprising use number five. I love this. It comes from my friend Shannon from nourishingdays.com. I've got a quick link for you, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash crockpot yogurt. Now, this was actually posted um, in 2009. And so it's not a raw milk yogurt, but what I'm going to do is tell you the method that Shannon covers, and then I'm going to tell you how you can, if you want, use it with raw milk yogurt, okay? Or use it with raw milk to make raw milk yogurt. A lot of creamy, really set up thick yogurt recipes require, even if you're starting with raw milk, that you pasteurize the milk first and then let it cool down to the yogurt incubation temperature, add your culture, and incubate the yogurt, well, if you want to do raw milk, um, obviously you don't want to pasteurize it, but the thing is the organisms in the raw milk compete with the yogurt culture, so you don't end up with a thick, nice yogurt um, if you skip the pasteurization um, step. Well, I'm going to show you how you can skip the pasteurization step and still end up with thick raw milk yogurt. First, let's talk about the overall method. It's very easy. You're going to put your, and this overall method is if you are going to pasteurize your milk first, okay? Um, you put the milk in the crock pot on low. You heat it for two to two and a half hours. Um, that gets it to near boiling. 
you turn your crock pot off and the near boiling is the pasteurization. Um, and it's for a purpose, okay? It's for a purpose so that you don't have competing organisms with the yogurt culture. That's the purpose. So um, just, you know, talking about the facts here. Of course, raw milk is ideal. So the milk is near boiling. You turn off the crock pot and you let the milk cool for about three hours um, with the lid on. So, you know, it's not exposed to the air and all that. And it's going to get down to yogurt incubating temperature, which is like 100 to 110 degrees. Then you're going to stir in your um, culture, which could be a powdered yogurt culture, or you could use, um, you know, uh, plain yogurt with live active cultures. And, you know, for amounts on this, definitely go check out Shannon's post, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash crockpot yogurt. I'm just talking about the method here. And so you mix in your culture very well. Then you're going to um, put the cover back on the crock pot. And remember, it's off at this point. And you're just, you can even take the whole crock out, wrap it well in towels, like big bath towels, put it in a draft-free place, like maybe your oven or a corner that doesn't get a lot of airflow, and let it incubate for 12 to 18 hours. Its residual heat will complete the culture. Right now, it's about 100 to 110 degrees, ideally. And after 12 to 18 hours, it's going to turn into yogurt. And when it's done, then you're going to transfer it carefully so you don't mess up the curds into, you know, your jars or whatever you're going to use to put it in containers and then put it in the fridge. And I like a good 24 hours to set it up fully. Of course, when it's cold, you can dig into it, but it'll be nice and set in 24 hours. So that is the process of using the crock pot for yogurt. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? It's a surprising use, but your crock pot is really cool for yogurt. I mean, it's, it's taking care of heating the milk and insulating the milk with the culture. So you end up with yogurt. Now, let me tell you how you can adapt that. If you want to make raw milk yogurt, by the way, um, this is a recipe or this is a, an idea I've shared at traditional cooking school for members in our, um, aller- sorry, cooking outside e-course, I showed you how to make raw milk yogurt, thick raw milk yogurt using a dehydrator. So the recipe behind what I'm going to tell you can be used many places if you use your dehydrator to incubate. And I'm going to show you an adaptation for a crock pot here. So to adjust what I just shared with you, Shannon's method for, but for raw milk, what you're going to do is you're going to put most of your milk in the crock pot, but you're going to reserve some of it and you're going to blend that reserved amount, and it just has to be a couple cups, you're going to reserve it, I mean, blend it with gelatin, Great Lakes gelatin. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. Um, Just blend it so the gelatin isn't all clumped together, but it's kind of distributed. And you need, for the amount of milk, the amount of yogurt you're making, you need about one to two teaspoons of the gelatin per quart of the yogurt you're making. So that allows, that tells you how much to use. Um, So you blend, you know, some of the milk with your full amount of gelatin. Then you put that in the crock pot with the rest of the milk and stir well so the gelatin is distributed. And then you're going to cover your crock pot and then you're going to heat it. But instead of heating it for, you know, two and a half hours, you're only, you're going to put it on low and you're only going to heat it 
to the point where it's 100 to 110 degrees. So you are going to have to be hands-on here and checking. And you also want to, um, by the time it gets to 100 to 110 degrees, you also want to have stirred it well so the gelatin will be fully melted into the milk and distributed well in the milk. When it gets to that temperature, you turn off the crock pot. Then you add your culture, which can be yogurt with plain active cultures. It can be a powdered yogurt starter, whatever you're using. Um, and you stir that well into the milk. Then you cover the crock pot. It's off. You remove the crock insert, wrap the whole thing in towels, and put it in your oven or draft-free location to finish the culturing at that same incubation temperature. 12 to 18 hours, um, and it'll be done. And the beauty of this is, remember, the organisms in the raw milk are still there to compete with the yogurt culture, but because we add the gelatin, the gelatin sets it up thick in spite of that competition. So you get all the raw milk organisms, you get the yogurt, you know, tangy flavor and culture, <clears throat> and you get thick because of the gelatin. So it's beautiful. <clears throat> so when your yogurt's done... Um, you're going to transfer it into glass jars and refrigerate. And again, about 24 hours is the minimum, at least in my opinion, for a good set um, of chilling after it's been cultured. You can find Shannon's method at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash crockpot yogurt. And then, of course, um, listen in on my adaptation here because you won't find the raw milk adaptation there. You just have to rely on what I told you. Um, or you can visit um, Traditional Cooking School membership, the members area, and check out the Cooking Outside eCourse to see how I shared this raw milk yogurt recipe, but doing it in the dehydrator. I use the dehydrator, like, sh like Shannon here is using the crock pot to bring the milk to temperature. I use the dehydrator to bring the milk to temperature. So it's 100% done in either of these appliances. Thanks for joining me, everyone. It was fun to talk about these five surprising uses for the crock pot, and I'll recap them and give you links right now. The first was perpetual broth, and info is at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash perpetual. The second is soap. Info is at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash crockpot soap. The third surprising use is cheesecake. You'll find the recipe at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104. Fourth surprising use is to render tallow or lard. Info is at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash render tallow. And fifth, to make yogurt. Knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash crockpot yogurt or, of course, your traditional cooking school membership. There's a recap of all these uses and all the links at the show notes. Knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 104. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, just type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air. So go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop, 
go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. While you're there, please do leave a rating or review. I love to get them, love to read your comments, and they're invaluable to help other people find this podcast. Thank you so much.